0: Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. We have two Didache divine services left for the year tonight, and then next week. Uh, that will be followed by the ascension of our Lord's celebration the week after that. And then we will move into the summertime pattern, where Wednesday night we'll repeat Sunday's um, divine service and sermon. Tonight, we are returning to the second article of the Creed. Uh, This year, we have uh, tried, in some parts, to align the portions of the catechism, uh, Christian doctrine, with the church year, or our meditation upon the passion of our Lord, according to St. Matthew. And in the fall, as we were moving into Advent, uh, and then Christmas, we had one of the four lessons on the second article of the creed, the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we did not cover. Namely, the second coming of our Lord in judgment. So if you think about the Apostles' Creed again, the second article, Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, and then there are four things that are highlighted there. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, the incarnation of the Son of God. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The crucifixion, incarnation, crucifixion. The third day he rose again from the dead to life, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. There's the resurrection and ascension. We are in Eastertide now. In two weeks, we celebrate the ascension of our Lord. And then finally, the second article of the Creed says, from thence, from the position of the Father's right hand, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. That's the focus for tonight. But it fits in well for Eastertide because we have just celebrated the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, We are about to celebrate the ascension, and in so doing, we look forward to the second coming of Christ in glory. And one of the things that we will focus upon tonight is that the forgiveness of sins which Jesus earned for us upon the cross in his death is not only that which raises us from the dead on the last day. But the forgiveness of sins that we receive now, throughout our lifetime, in preaching, in absolution, in the sacraments, in the Lord's Supper, prepares us for when our Lord comes again in glory to meet him without fear. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. O God, you make the minds of your faithful to be of one will, grant that we may love what you have commanded and desire what you promise, that among the many changes of this world, our hearts may be fixed where true joys are found, and we might look forward to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in glory, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Hymn 954, We All Believe in One True God, reminds us of the teachings from the Holy Scriptures of each of the three articles, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Point three on the handout, Review of the Resurrection and Ascension. If you don't remember anything else about the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord bodily from the dead, remember this. Jesus' forgiveness is the source of his resurrection from the dead And it is the source of yours. And the reason that is so is because sin is the cause of death. Separation from God. Separation from one another in our relationships. You take away the problem of sin. You remedy that with the forgiveness of sins. We are reconciled to God And we're reconciled to one another. Sin is the cause of death. Therefore, the forgiveness of sins is the source of life and resurrection. And that's why Jesus in the upper room on Easter night said to his disciples, Peace be with you. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Peace be with you is the message of absolution. Now, I've got some terms I wanted to show you here. Descent into hell, the resurrection, justification, the exaltation of Christ, the ascension of our Lord, the right hand of God. In the second article of the Creed, we say he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He descended into hell the third day he rose again from the dead. What is the descent into hell? It is not to suffer. The descent into hell is the beginning of the proclamation of Jesus' victory. So, the power of Satan was God's own word. The day you eat, they must die, separated from God. Son of God says, in essence, you're right. I will become man. I will take man's death. The result is life. And so he begins to proclaim that victory over sin, death, and Satan's power in hell. That's what the descent into hell is all about. His resurrection bodily from the dead. It is a bodily resurrection. The same body of the Son of God that was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. The same body that suffered and died upon the cross. And his soul, departed from the body, and then he is raised from the dead where his soul and body are reunited, never to be separated again. The first person to benefit from the atonement, the payment for sin that Jesus made, is Jesus himself. That's why he is called the first fruits of those who sleep in death. His death and resurrection is the fountain of life, by the power of forgiveness. That leads to that next term, justification. Justification is related to another phrase that's throughout the New Testament. It's also in the Old Testament. Righteousness of God. Or just the word righteousness. Justification, or to justify, means that God declares you righteous. To say it another way, God declares you forgiven. So if God says to you, Joshua, I forgive you all your sins, then your sin is taken away and you are justified. You are declared righteous. In the Old Testament, book of Genesis, Abraham believed God, Genesis 15, verse 6, and he was accounted righteous, declared righteous. So he was righteous through faith in the promised seed, namely the Son of God who was to come, and in his death would make atonement for sin. So when God forgives us or justifies us, declares us righteous, it is on account of Christ. And we are justified by faith, which means we receive Jesus and we trust in him. The result is life. Now when Jesus rose from the dead... Mary Magdalene hung on to him. I've not yet ascended to my father. His resurrection meant also glorification and exaltation. Throughout his earthly ministry, he humbled himself and he lived the life of faith as a man, all the while being true God, but he lived humbly by faith. He did what Adam failed to do. He trusted in the Father. And so this is Christ's righteousness that he did for us what we failed to do for ourselves. He trusted. He loved his Father. And then, going to the cross, dying for us, he is raised from the dead the third day and exalted to the Father's right hand. The ascension of our Lord, which is the next term, is related to exaltation, This victory parade, so to speak, begins in the spiritual realm of hell, the descent into hell. It continues in his earthly appearances for 40 days before the apostles, who would bear witness to him. And then on the 40th day after Easter, he ascends into the heavens, which is not chiefly about a change in geographic location. So what is it? In a couple of days, when is it, is it this weekend, Prince Charles or King Charles will be coronated, and you could say he ascends the throne of England. That doesn't mean primarily a change in geographic location. It means the investiture of authority. You follow? So the coronation of a king is what the ascension is all about where God the Father says of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he says of Jesus, he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All authority in heaven and on earth is his. That's what the ascension of our Lord means. So it is in the heavenly realm, it's not out beyond Pluto. It's in the realm that we can't see with our physical eyes just yet. If we took a census of the number of angels in this room, I don't know how many there would be. At the resurrection, how many angels were there? The answer is all of them, because it was the greatest event, the death and resurrection in time and eternity. Now, sometimes you see one, sometimes you see two, but all of the angels were there. The ascension of our Lord means that he is seated at the Father's right hand. Again, that's not primarily a geographic location that he's sitting on the Father's hand. It's an expression that talks about a position of authority. All right. Do not be afraid, he is risen. That's what the proclamation of the angels were. What does it mean? Do not be afraid. He is risen. Or what does it mean when Jesus appears in the upper room and says to those disciples who ran away in fear, who doubted him, who betrayed him, who denied him, who were afraid of the Jews, who believed maybe everything that we believed was wrong? Here Jesus stands before them and he says, Peace be with you. Or the angel says to the women, Do not be afraid. He is risen. What does it mean? Josh, what does that mean? If Jesus comes to you, if you're one of the disciples, if you are Peter and he's in the upper room and the first word's out of his mouth after Peter sees him there resurrected, peace be with you. What does it mean? Your sins are forgiven. If Jesus says peace be with you, if you've got peace from Jesus, you've got nothing to fear. There is no judgment. There's no hell for you. There's no condemnation. There's no punishment. Do not be afraid. He is risen. Peace be with you. Your sins are forgiven. So Christ's absolution is the word that raises the dead, restores life. By Christ's forgiveness, unbelief is rebuked and faith is restored. In holy baptism, we are joined to the death and resurrection of Christ. It's amazing. The Bible says... As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If you're clothed with Christ, who is the righteous Son of God, who made full atonement for your sin, then you belong to the Father. That's why Thomas, a week later after Jesus appeared in the upper room, and he saw Jesus, and he touched Jesus, and Jesus said to him, Peace be with you. Touch my hands. Touch my side. Thomas fell down and said, My Lord and my God. If Jesus is your Lord and your God, he trumps Satan. He trumps sin. He trumps death. You have nothing to fear. Do not be afraid. He is risen. In holy absolution, again, just what I said to Josh a moment ago peace be with you, your sins are forgiven. If you kneel in confession, And in a broken and a contrite heart, like King David, last week, he heard Nathan speak the absolution. The Lord has put away your sin. Do you remember what came next? You will not die. Now, David died, but Christians call death a sleep because it's not the death that means separation from God. It means that the body sleeps in death to await the resurrection on the last day, but the soul of the believer who has been forgiven is with the Lord. Like Jesus said to the criminal on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Your sins are forgiven. The Lord's Supper, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. What's the next word? For the forgiveness of sins. And when we studied the Lord's Supper, we heard those words of explanation from the catechism about the benefits. Where there's forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. So in his resurrection appearances, Jesus said to the twelve, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. From the position of authority at God's right hand, Jesus' ministry restores life with God and gives victory over Satan and all demons, over sin and death, the deadly poison, by the laying on of the hands, the word of Christ's forgiveness has been applied to sinners through the absolution and the sacrament since the time of Jesus. Now that point C, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, embraces all preaching of Jesus, all catechesis, into Jesus, into the faith. It embraces holy baptism, holy absolution, and the holy supper of our Lord. So we're going to read in just a few seconds from Mark 13 on the second coming, Jesus' catechesis. But I want to say this at the outset. If we are hearing the word now, believing the word now, if we are baptized, if we are receiving the absolution and the body and blood of Jesus in repentant faith, this is how we are prepared when our Lord comes again in glory. It's that simple, yet that profound. So our preparation for the second coming, our preparation for judgment day, is to be hearing what Jesus says to us now. So, let me ask you this. If I go back to Josh here again and say, Joshua, your sins are forgiven. We just said, I'm pronouncing an absolution. We could also say, I'm pronouncing something else to him. Whose word is this? Your sins are forgiven. God's word. Jesus' word. So I am pronouncing an absolution, or you could say, thinking about the second coming in judgment, I am pronouncing God's what upon Joshua for the sake of Jesus, his judgment. Do you understand? When the law accuses us of sin, you are deserving of death, Russell, condemnation, separation from God. That's a judgment. It's a judgment of the law. Nevertheless, Russell, your sins are forgiven. That's the judgment of the gospel. You follow? So God's word speaks God's judgment. So if we're hearing God's judgment now in the law and in the gospel, in the law which shows us our sin and in the gospel which proclaims Christ's forgiveness, we are prepared for Jesus' second coming when we will hear that same judgment. In other words, Josh or Russell, I could use either one of you that I've pronounced that judgment upon. If you hear the judgment of God now, your sins are forgiven. Be of good cheer. And you believe that word. Is the Lord Jesus going to change that judgment on the last day? No. So he who hears the judgment of God now and believes it. Yes, I'm a sinner. I've been brought to repentance. But Christ is my Savior. He is my righteousness and you hear that judgment of God, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven, you'll hear the same judgment on Judgment Day. Judgment Day is not where God decides something. Jeepers, what are we going to do with Larry Haga? No, Judgment Day is where God announces the verdict to all the world. Judgment Day is the day of the vindication of Christ in the presence of of a whole world that has rejected and doesn't believe in him. As St. Paul says, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess, "Jesus Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Judgment Day for the church is a day of celebration. When he says to his beloved, come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, from the foundation of the world. All right, so the best preparation is to hear the word now so that we're prepared to hear that word in the judgment. Chapter 13 of Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 13, verse 21. Russell, do you have a page number? 1170. 1170 1170 if you need the page number. Mark 13... And I'm going to begin at verse 21. This took place during Holy Week. It was Jesus' catechesis with the twelve especially. They had showed him the beautiful temple, and he said the temple was going to be destroyed, and it was in 70 A.D. It's never been rebuilt. And then he's talking about his coming again in glory, and they ask him, when will these things be? Verse 21, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. The elect are the called To faith. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. So he warns us of false Christs. False, what would a false Christ be? A false what? He warns of false prophets too. What would a false Christ be? A false God, a false Savior. false prophet, a prophet is one who speaks or is supposed to speak the word. So if it's a false prophet, he doesn't speak the word. One of the reasons why in our Didache, I teach you the Catechism, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, the text on baptism, absolution, and the Lord's Supper, and go to the Bible for all of that, is to show the objectivity of of the faith that is anchored in the prophetic and apostolic scriptures. And I am taking you to texts, Commandments, Creed, Lord's Prayer, that have been a part of the basic fundamental catechesis of the church since the time of the apostles. So you're talking 2,000 years, basically. So a false prophet, a false Christ, takes you away from the real Christ. St. Paul said, when I came among you, I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I deliver to you the gospel which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that phrase, just as the scriptures of the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets have said. And he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, just as the scriptures said. Even the apostle Paul, called directly by Jesus to be an apostle, preached the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus according to the Old Testament scriptures. Because when he spoke those words in 1 Corinthians, the New Testament was just beginning to be formulated as the apostles and evangelists wrote the testimony to Jesus in the Gospels, and as the epistles were beginning to be written. So, I deliver to you the Gospel which I also preached, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus said it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day and... That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name. That's Luke 24. That's what Jesus said. So a false Christ and a false prophet is going to lead us away from that. So I have here false doctrine and false Christ or false saviors are characteristic of the last days. And then in the parentheses under 4a, we have been in the last days since the time of the apostles. Do you remember when we were studying the third article of the creed, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon the 12 apostles, the signs of flames of fire marking them, the rushing wind, and then they spoke the gospel in languages that they previously didn't know to show that the gospel is for all people. And it's such an amazing message of God's grace that they say they're drunk, some did. And Peter says, they're not drunk. We're not drunk, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. This is what the prophet Joel said. I will pour out my Spirit in the last days. So according to Peter's preaching, the last days were right there, Pentecost, and continue until Christ's second coming. And what characterized Pentecost when we studied that more than anything else was preaching. And the preaching of what? The death and resurrection of the Christ for the forgiveness of sins according to the scriptures. Okay, so we're in the last days. We've been in the last days since the time of Pentecost. The last days are the time of the church. And if you don't find the preaching of God's Word and the preaching of the Gospel of Jesus Christ in the church, you're not going to find it anywhere else. There's a lot of churches that are doing a lot of other things, but they're not preaching the Word of God, and they're not preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified or the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead or the forgiveness of sins as a gift of God's grace for Jesus' sake. So they're false prophets and they're false uh, Christs, even though they may have the trappings, you know, the signs and wonders. What did Jesus say? They will show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So big churches are not the sign of church. Making lots of money is not the sign of the true church. The true church preaches Jesus Christ and Him crucified according to the Scriptures. Okay, Let's move on. Verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, so he calls the period of false Christs and false prophets a period of tribulation. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man... Coming in the clouds with great power and glory. I have a question for you. Signs in the cosmos, the earth shaking. Did the disciples of Jesus, the Twelve, have any firsthand experience with that? What and when and where? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. On, Good Friday. On Good Friday. What happened? At the time Jesus hung upon the cross, what was there from 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon? Darkness. Darkness. When Jesus died upon the cross, what happened to the earth? Earthquake. The earthquake. In fact, Matthew records that many of the saints came out of the graves and went into Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection. The prophet Joel talks about the blood moon. What is a blood moon? A lunar eclipse. Is that Elias or Wesley? Wesley, yeah, lunar eclipse. On Good Friday, April 3rd, 33 AD, that Friday of the Passover that year, The moon rose in a lunar eclipse, a blood moon. What did the centurion say when Jesus was crucified, there was the earthquake, and the veil of the temple, some new scholarship would indicate that the temple can be seen from the Mount of Olives, which is likelier the place of Jesus' crucifixion. And you can look down at the temple and see that the curtain of the temple had been rent in twain, top to bottom. And what did the centurion say? Truly this was the Son of God. Did the disciples have any experience with doubt? Fear? Did they Were they afraid ever for their lives that they were going to be executed that they would be tortured what is tribulation but any experience that attacks faith confident trust and reliance upon Christ did the disciples experience anything that attacked their faith their reliance upon Jesus and when did it happen It happened right there, Holy Week. In fact, when Jesus speaks these words, warning about false Christs and false prophets and then the tribulation, they are going to experience within hours of Him speaking this, those things. The powers of the heavens are shaken, a blood moon, a lunar eclipse, darkness over the face of the earth from the sixth to the ninth hour, men's hearts failing them, They all forsook him and fled. And where is Jesus? Suspended between the heavens and the earth. So what Jesus describes here, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory, verse 26. The glory of God was really manifest in the cross. The tribulation that they experienced that Good Friday is a tribulation That passion of Jesus that they experienced and witnessed and the spiritual turmoil that they went through would prepare them and the church for the last days, which we are in now. Have Christians been persecuted down through history? Have there been earthquakes? Have there been famine? Has there been pestilence and disease? Yep. Have there been scandals to Christians' consciences because of their own failings like the disciples. So we learn from Holy Week, the passion of our Lord, how to approach the tribulation of the last times which we're in. We see in those things that the disciples experienced something that Christians have experienced down through the ages and will leading up to the second coming. But what gave them comfort and hope When Jesus appeared in the upper room and said to them, Peace be with you. If I have my Lord's peace, or to put it another way, if I have my Lord's forgiveness, I can face the tribulation, all of the things that attack my faith. From the signs in the cosmos, earthquake, famine, pestilence, disease, to the turmoil within my own heart and conscience as I wrestle with sin and the devil's temptations. If the Lord says to me, peace be with you, I need not fear. So we're to learn something from Holy Week as we go through the end times from now until Christ appears again. So 4B, what is tribulation? Every way in which faith in Christ has been attacked down through the centuries These attacks involve the shaking of those things in creation that otherwise seem stable and constant. The sun, the moon, the stars, the powers of the heavens. Devil world and our sinful nature cause us to interpret the signs of the end times, famine, pestilence, earthquakes, hurricanes, war, the rise of evil, etc., as reasons to fear and turn away from faith in Christ. But here's one of the lessons Jesus says in several places during his Holy Week catechesis, See, I have told you these things, that when it comes to pass, you might remember that I told you these things. The Son of Man comes in the clouds in the midst of such tribulation. We see it on Holy Week when he's suspended in the clouds on the cross. And when he comes again in glory... We shall see the resurrected and ascended Lord suspended in the clouds and receiving us to himself. So there's a great parallel there the humiliation, suffering, and death of Jesus upon the cross, where he is suspended on the cross between heaven and earth and the darkness that covers, and then when he comes again in glory on the last day. All right, moving on with this text, verse 27. And then they will send his angels, he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven. Now there's a parallel here too. Jesus' death and resurrection, what was the word that I quoted in 3C? It's from Jesus, 3C. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every preacher, the good news. When when the church has gone out, and ministers have gone out into all nations and preached the gospel, what are they doing? They're gathering in the elect from all nations. Do you follow? Remember what Jesus said to the disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John? They were fishermen. Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. The image of the church is a great ship and the net symbolizing the preaching of the gospel that gathers into the church the fish, the souls of many who are converted to Christ. So look at the parallel. Jesus dies and rises from the dead. Go and preach the gospel. So his angels, angel means messenger, his angels, the apostles, the ministers of the gospel in the church, they go out into all the world and they gather the elect from the four winds. When Jesus comes again in glory, notice the parallel, then the angels will gather in the elect from all nations, from all tribes. You see? So we're called to repentance and faith now. We're baptized. That's what it is to be a Christian. You're called by the gospel, and you're baptized into Christ. And Christians are gathered from all over. I mean, one of the most encouraging things for me is having the experience of going to Scandinavia, going to Sweden, going to Finland, seeing Christians who believe the same gospel of Jesus Christ that I believe and confess, and then going to Africa, going to Kenya or Ghana and Nigeria and seeing my black brothers and sisters in Christ there. On the last day, when Jesus comes again in glory, all of his holy angels will gather the elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven. St. Paul says, That we will all be gathered up together with the Lord to meet him in the air. Moving on, verse 28. Now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves. You know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the very doors. which is Christ, at the very doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now, the lesson of the fig tree intrigued me for a long time. And as... People who live in the northern hemisphere and we have deciduous trees, what would you say is among the most stunningly beautiful things about deciduous trees? They change colors in the fall and then the leaves fall to the ground. And then the trees look dead. But the example of the fig tree is actually the opposite. He doesn't want us to make the connection of leaves turning color and then falling to the ground where the tree looks dead, but rather when the tree, the fig tree begins to bud, you know the summer is near. So upon the cross Jesus hung. New life was beginning to bud though you couldn't see it. But the summer was near. In the resurrection, he sprung to new life. So out of suffering comes resurrection and new life. So also, the parallel to this in these last days, the tribulation that we go through, that's a sign that Christ is coming again, Kent. The things that you're experiencing at work that cause you to cry tears of sorrow in a world of darkness, those are actually the signs of the fig tree budding Summer is near. We are to live each day as if the resurrected Lord could return at any moment in glory, like on tippy toes, anxiously looking forward and waiting for him to appear again in glory. So the parable of the fig tree is a parable that teaches us that the signs of the great tribulation are actually the prelude to the second coming and the resurrection. And now finally verse 32, to the end. Of that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is, when our Lord returns. It is like a man going to a far country, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to Watch, watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Now, this idea of watching, watching in the Bible always involves the Word of God. Remember what we said at the outset. We are prepared for our Lord's return again in glory when we are hearing his word now. The judgment of the law and the gospel now. When we are believing that judgment now. So to watch and to pray is to be focused upon the word of God. It is to be doing the very ordinary things that Christians have done for centuries. Those churches that stopped having services during covid are the churches whose membership waned and they went away. We cannot live without the word of God as Christians. We cannot live without the sacraments. And so we come and we gather and we receive. And the Holy Spirit, by the word, strengthens and preserves our faith and comforts our troubled consciences. So, no one knows the hour of our Lord's second coming. So, if you see the tabloids, if they still have them in the grocery stores, predicting when Jesus will return, don't listen to them. Watch and pray means that the Christian and the church are called to be evermore in the study of God's word. And that's why we have didache. That's why we have divine services. Christ gives his servants authority to protect the house. Each minister is to do his duty. Each Christian is to live faithfully in his or her vocation. Any questions from this text before we close and receive the sacrament? This generation will by no means pass away. What does that mean? It's a promise of Jesus that his church will be preserved. Didn't it look like during Good Friday that there was no more church left? They'd all scattered and fled. But out of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, he called out of the darkness of doubt and unbelief the disciples back to their faith. And that generation was preserved. And it is the promise of of Jesus to the church of every generation. The gates of hell will not prevail against you who abide in me and I abide in you through the holy word and sacraments. Under part five here, I just wanna draw your attention to uh, the catechism explanation. I have printed it out for you. What we've covered tonight is that phrase from the creed, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And from the catechism's explanation, the main clause, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord. The rest of the catechism, remember, he's redeemed me with his holy precious blood. Why? And I have written here from the explanation that I may be his own. If you belong to Jesus, you have nothing to fear. He wants you to approach his second coming to look forward to it with certainty. He has declared me righteous, I have nothing to fear. That I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. And at the beginning of our didache, we covered point number six, that the holy absolution proclaims the judgment of God. And so if we're hearing the absolution now, In preaching, we are hearing the judgment of God. If we're hearing it in the law and the gospel, we're hearing the judgment of God. Because the preaching of the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection is proclaiming the judgment of God that fell upon Jesus for us. And by his resurrection, he is proclaiming to us bodily forgiveness for all of our sins. And that's why the resurrection is the physical, bodily, incarnate absolution. And in preparation for the Lord's Supper, we sing of it now in hymn 490, Jesus Lives the Victory Won. O Almighty God, Merciful Father, I, a poor miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them, and I pray you of your boundless mercy and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the Word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, you are the great physician of soul and body. We commend to you our brothers and sisters in Christ, suffering great afflictions, John Bruss recovering from heart surgery, Brad Yenge from complications from open-heart surgery, Harold Campen in rehab. Richard, friend of the Luicks, in grave condition. Walt Disson, hospitalized in serious condition. Dawn Frederick, recovering from surgery. Mark Gretzinger, undergoing continued medical testing. And those suffering with cancer, Kathleen, Tanya, Dennis, Gabby, Mike, Peyton, Kathy, and Heather, bring healing according to your will sustain them under the cross of affliction with your grace. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon ourselves the armor of light now, in the time of this mortal life, in which your Son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that on the last day, when he shall come again in glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to life immortal to receive the inheritance prepared for us from the foundation of the world. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God. And most especially are we bound to praise you on this day for the glorious resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, the very Paschal Lamb, who was sacrificed for us and bore the sins of the world. By his dying, he has destroyed death, And by his rising again, he has restored to us everlasting life. Therefore, with Mary Magdalene, Peter, and John, and with all the witnesses of the resurrection, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth. Heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of all creation. For you have had mercy on us, and given your only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In these last days, you have poured out your Holy Spirit on your church through the preaching of the gospel, that your sons and daughters might proclaim the wonders of your salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon your gathered people, that faithfully eating and drinking the body and blood of your Son we may go forth to proclaim his salvation to the ends of the earth. Hear us as we pray in his name and as he has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses As we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, grant us thy peace. Amen. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And his mercy endures forever. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, you have given us a foretaste of the feast to come in the Holy Supper of your Son's body and blood. Keep us firm in the true faith throughout our days of pilgrimage, that on the day of his coming, we may, together with all your saints, celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you.